Well, welcome everybody. It's, uh, man, it's, it's just always good to be um, in the house of the Lord and to be uh, with us as a church family. And as always, I want to welcome our, our Boynton campus and everyone at church um, at, at home. And I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to talk about what I talk about today, but not excited to talk about what I, what I talk about today at the same time, because I think it's going to be so uh, helpful, but it's not always something fun uh, to share. But I think it's one of those things that is, is just necessary to share. And um, one of the things that we're going to talk about um, today, and I had something else planned, and like I said, I hope the Leading Well series has helped uh, so many of you. It's been great to hear those stories. But um, so, some things happened to this week that I really wanted to just kind of talk about and share about, not necessarily with our church, but just in general. And so today what I want to talk about to you guys is simply this. What what can I do or what can we do to help protect ourselves and others from failure? Like what can we do to protect ourselves, listen to this, um, from from failure, from from shame, from regret, from doing something you don't want to do, from living with the consequences of, of those decisions? Because too often what's happening in human nature and in our story is, is that people are having, are doing things they didn't want to do, becoming people they didn't want to become, and living with the consequences that come with it. So today is really about how do, how do we begin to create like uh, maybe some safeguards around our life to help us not do that. Have, have you ever noticed sometimes in life, and let's just be honest for a moment, right? Have, have you ever done something that you're not proud of or didn't want to do in your life? Anybody here ever do something like that? I've raised all my hands and legs and everything. Uh, uh. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you ever look back and go, I didn't even want to do that. Like, that's not who I wanted to be. But I did what I didn't want to do, and I don't even know why I did what I didn't want to do. And now I'm living with the consequences, whether they're big or small or shame or guilt. But every one of us have done that. Every one of us has found us in a circumstance, and we did what we didn't thought or want to do. And and sometimes it's this. Sometimes let's take this a little bit deeper. And sometimes it's not just doing something you want to do. Have you ever found yourself in a season of your life where you're like, I don't want to be who I've become? Like, I remember in my life looking in a mirror in my early 20s and looking and going, I don't like who I am. And not from a superficial standpoint, like, no. Like, if you knew my character in that time, in that season, I wasn't proud to be me. I didn't want to be me. I didn't even like me. And I remember thinking to myself, I never set out to be who I became, and yet I became who I was. It's something interesting about us, isn't it? That, that we don't start out with the intention of doing certain things or becoming a certain person. And yet we never expected to be battling this anger. Why, why am I so angry all the time? Why, why am I so anxious all the time? Well, why is it that my, I, these words are so critical to keep coming out of my mouth and I keep putting this weight on my spouse and my kids that shouldn't be there? Like, what, like I don't even like who I am and yet I'm here. How did I get here? And so today what I really want to talk about in this element is I want to talk about this reality of going, so, so how do we protect ourselves? Because on one hand, I want you to understand something about yourself is that in some ways you're awesome. Like you got the Spirit of God in you, amen? And, and, and God is, is good and you're here. So if you're here or you're watching at home, you've actually made an attempt during this week to go seek God, to serve God, to get better. This means somewhere inside of you there is something good. In fact, Wednesday night was such an awesome night. We had like this like student kickoff for our summers and our student ministry, and, and I got to take my family, and this was just the baptism portion uh, of that night, and that was just amazing to watch the kids cheering, and, and it, it was such a special night. It really was. It was an amazing night, and I got to watch our student team, which, by the way, is incredible. I watched all these volunteers pouring into all of these kids. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids all across our campus, and they were giving their lives to Jesus, coming forward and surrounding their lives. I was in this conversation from this young man. It was really cool. Um, From Riviera Beach, goes to Suncoast. If you're watching, you say you watch online, which is awesome. And, and um, he was just sharing with me how the, this church has changed his life. And even though he's not been here since uh, COVID, their, their family watches every week online. He just shared what God was doing. I'm talking to a 17-year-old junior who's going to be a, a senior, just talking about what God is doing in his life through church at home. And it was such a, it was amazing. I'm still going to watch your basketball. I promise you, like I told you Wednesday night when you play this summer. Like, I, I just love, so I walked away on Wednesday just like on fire going, God, you're awesome. And look at what you're doing in our midst, from outreach all around the globe, to people giving their lives to Christ, to the community. And it's amazing and beautiful what God is doing in here. But in the same time, when it comes to the church nationally, 
for those of you that have watched the news at all, there's also been a lot of exposure, if you will, of some things that have been happening behind the scenes that have been covered up and brought to the light. And this week, there's another report of the Southern Baptist Church now that got caught. And before that, it was the Pentecostals. And before that, it was the Reformed. And before that, it was the Catholic. And the reality was that no matter what the spectrum is, we hear these stories of these men that maybe at one time were godly. Some of them were narcissists the whole time, but some of them were probably good men. That somewhere along the line had drifted away from who they wanted or who they began and became someone they never wanted to be and did something they never should have done. And as a result, their lives, the people's lives, there's so much hurt connected to it. Because the reality is when you fail, by the way, when you're connected to people, it never just hurts you. It hurts the people around you. And so when, when we started thinking about this, and I remember this conversation, we had a pastor locally that once again had multiple affairs and it got exposed and out in the public. And um, I was talking to this person and, and I was talking about church. And she goes, yeah, well, I've never been back since. And I was like, that was seven years ago. <laughs> and like, you've never gone back. Like, like, you, like you understand the world looks on and they see what's happening and go, wait a minute, the church isn't a safe place anymore. I don't even know if I can go and I can't trust. This is my problem with organized, if you go, religion. Now understand something just to be clear for a second. Jesus had a problem too with religious people. Right? The religious people were, were so bad. He says, you actually are sons of hell. He called them broods of vipers and told them they're shutting the kingdom of heaven in God's, in God's face. In other words, he went to the temple and he tore out the money change. Remember, with a, Jesus walked in with a whip. In other words, um, that, that there are going to be people that misrepresent God. And I think what we have to be careful of is when people misrepresent God, meaning they're not who Jesus is or called them to be, let's not walk away from God. Let's walk away from those people. Does that make sense? Like, see, too often what, what happens in our world is we go, oh, the church is messed up and broken. But let me just also put that in perspective because what's happened is real. And that's why I want to talk about it. I don't want to, like, sweep it under and go, oh, it's like everything's fine in the world. No, I want, to, I, want to, I want to, like, talk about straight up. Here's what's happening. It's been exposed. There's some people all around in all these different churches that have been, you know, exposed. And I think God has actually brought purity and, and, and actually exposes what's in the dark and brings it to the light. That's actually scriptural, right? I think God gives people time to repent. When they don't repent, he will actually bring it to the light. But I also want to put this in perspective because I was talking to this, this a couple pastors one day and, and we were headed to this little conference where this, um, this organization plants churches all over the world and so does a pretty amazing job at it. And yet recently it came to the light, there was a big report on them and there was like five of their pastors had uh, moral failings, which is basically a polite way to say they had affairs. I don't know why we say, like we say the word mistake instead of sin because it makes us feel better when it actually is a choice, not a mistake. But, you know, so, so they had these affairs and so it was like, People are like, hey, people are distancing themselves from this organization. And oh, man, this is, this organization is in chaos and everything's falling apart. And I said, hey, what happened was wrong. I actually knew one of the guys. And what happened was absolutely wrong. It's true. But let's put this in perspective. So they got 2,000 church as they planted and been a part of. Two, over 2,000. That's over 2,000 pastors. And five of them have been in, in a moral failure or the fair. So let's just do the math. You know what that is? That's less than 0.05%. And yet what happens is in our world is they don't talk about the other, you know, 1,995 pastors, do they? All they talk about are the five out of the 2,000 that actually had failures. So the idea is all we see over and again, another church failure. Man, pastors everywhere are falling like flies. Well, think about that. That's 0.05%. You go ahead and compare those numbers to lawyers, <laughs> teachers, Okay, just a normal human being, like what, 50% of marriages almost end in divorce, talking about 0.05%. Like, you understand, it's not that nothing bad is happening, it's happening, and we need to deal with it. I'm not saying that, but I think what I need to help you also see is it's not as big of an epidemic as you would think it would be. It is real, it is an issue, but, but it's not like, like, you're talking about less than 1%, but the problem is, is like someone like me, the world will never know who I am, the paper will never write about me unless I fail. And the moment I fail, so I could spend 25 years of my life honoring God, doing the right thing. And if I do one thing wrong, all the world will ever see is the one thing do wrong. And so we live in an environment in a world that's this, that will always take the, the people that fail and make huge deals about it. And by the way, I think that's actually good. We need to expose and, and get rid of these people that shouldn't be in ministry. I'm all for it. But I want us to understand as followers of Jesus, and even those of you that may be disconnected from the church, is understand the church is filled with imperfect human beings that are striving to be like Jesus. 
And I will tell you, even here at Journey, there are probably some people that shouldn't be here and are actually bad people that are in here and they shouldn't be here. But most people in here are actually good people that maybe occasionally will do something they should not do. Does that make sense? So I just want you to understand this and put this in perspective. But the heart today has nothing to do with the pastors and the church. It really has to do with you. Because what my heart today is to understand that this struggle is not just of pastors. The struggle is not just of people in ministry. That all of us have temptations and all of us have the potential to do something that we don't want to do and become something we don't want to be. And my heart is your pastor, someone that wants you to not have to have that hard conversation with your family or not deal with that consequence. Someone that really in my heart wants your last name to mean something to your family and to your children. Okay, and I, want, I, I, I don't want you to, I've had to sit in those meetings with people and watch the heartache and the pain. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or you're a teacher, it hurts the same to your kids. Like, I want you to hear this. So my heart is for us to go, hey, what if we actually talked about something uncomfortable? And it's really quiet in here, just for the record. Um, what if we actually talked about something uncomfortable with the heartbeat of going, well, if we actually talked about this and learned how to protect, then maybe one day I won't actually become that person I don't want to become. And I won't do that thing that I don't have to have that guilt or that shame or that conversation. Does that make sense? So that's the heartbeat of today. I want to actually give you some tools so you don't have to live life with regrets, so you don't have to look back with with your kids and go, I wish I would have parented differently so that you can actually be everything that God created you to be. So that's a positive thing. But in order to do that, I want to help you understand some things about yourself and give you two tools to help you begin to finish the race well. Amen? To, to get to that point in your life where you're not looking back and there's regrets. And by the way, if you have messed up in here, join the human race. And there is grace and God can forgive you. And by the way, you can't even restore your name and reputation, although it will take time. So don't feel hopeless or beat up when it comes to this. Now, the first thing that I want to do is to help you understand this, to, to walk and live right through God is simply this. And here's it is. Don't underestimate the weakness of your sinful nature. What I mean is this. Don't underestimate that you may be good and have a good heart and want to be a good person, but inside of every human nature, inside of every human being, there is also a sinful nature and there also is a real enemy. And sometimes the greatest way to protect yourself from failure is realizing that you actually have the capability to do it. And too often in life, what happens is we don't see this in ourselves or in our children or in people we love. And so as we walk through this life, we live as though we weren't, aren't capable of failing. And as a result of that, we don't create the boundaries and the safeguards in our lives. And so we get close to the sin that can take us out. And then eventually it takes us out. Because why? Because we underestimate the sinful nature and we overestimate, if you will, how good that we are. Are. And there are a lot of people, listen to this, that, that will find themselves in this life going, I never thought I could do it. I never thought I would do it. So therefore, I never protected myself and there I fell. In fact, listen to this. This is exactly what happens in the life of Peter. And I want you to hear this, please. Because Peter was a good man, just like you. He loves God. He was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. And he also was the man that betrayed Jesus. But I want you to understand this connection. Here, listen to this. Between how Peter saw himself, he underestimated, he didn't see it, his sinful nature or even the, the spiritual battles of his life. And how his refusal to see his capability to do something wrong actually led him to the point of his failure because it's so important for you and me. And so one day, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he actually tells Peter, Peter, you're going to fail. Like, I'm just telling you right now, the enemy's coming after you. He's chosen you, and he's going to come after you. And in a moment of weakness, you're going to fail. You're going to betray me. It's not going to be pretty, Peter. And you're going to have to get back up. And I want you to get back up. I want you to serve me and make a difference in the world. I love God's heart of grace. He wants us not to fail, but even when he does fail, that's why he went to the cross to lift us back up. But I want you to see, if you will, Peter's response. And I want you to begin to ask yourself, well, how does Peter see himself? Can Peter see the sinful nature inside of him? Listen to what you see Peter say. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I, what's that word? Say it. I never will. I'm not capable, Jesus. You, you see that? I'm good. I gave my life for you. I would willingly give my life for you. And by the way, Peter does do that and is willing to do that. And notice what Peter says again. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You'll betray the person you love, your savior, your friend. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will, what's that word? 
never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. In other words, what was Peter saying? I am not capable of doing that or being that. And so I don't need to protect myself. I don't need to create the safeguards because I'm incapable of doing this because Jesus, I, I'm a good man. And by the way, I love you, and he did, and, he, and I'm devoted to you, and I would give my life for you. And by the way, moments after this, moments after this, Roman soldiers come to take Jesus away, and what does Peter do? He takes out a knife and single-handedly takes on a whole Roman garrison, if you will, of, of, of these soldiers, not garrison, but a whole group of soldiers that have come to take Jesus, knowing he probably would die and give his life for Jesus. And part of me wonders if on the way there, Peter's like, Jesus, I know you're God, but I told you so. I'm not going to fail you. I'm going to get this right. I love you. I'm a good man. And so what happens is right after this, Peter doesn't believe he's capable. And so Jesus goes, hey, Peter, you need to pray. You need to get ready because a battle's coming your way. And before tonight is over, you're going to fail. So get your spirit strong. And guess what Peter does? He falls asleep. Why? Because he doesn't need to be protected. He doesn't need the safeguards. He's a good man. He's a godly man. And so notice what begins to take place. Look at this. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Jesus, you need to pray, Peter, get ready. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for an hour? He, he asked Peter. Now notice what he says next. Watch and pray, Peter, so that you will not fall. See, that's God's heart. I don't want you to have the shame. I don't want you to have the regret. I don't want you to have the pain. In the temptation. Because what? Because the spirit is willing. Like if you seek God, God will give you the strength. But listen to this. What does he tell Peter? Hey, Peter, your flesh is weaker than you think. Do you see what he's saying? Hey, Peter, listen, I know you think you're not capable. I know you think you're good because you are good. There is goodness in you, and I want you to understand this. But, but, but you, you, you underestimate under the right circumstances what your flesh is capable of doing. And therefore, you are sleeping instead of preparing and strengthening your spirit for victory. Now listen to this. And so he, Peter doesn't listen once again, because why? So when he came back again, he found them once again sleeping. Why? Do you see the connection of how he sees himself incapable of it? He doesn't prepare or protect himself, but create the disciplines in his life he needs. And therefore, once again, he then betrays Jesus moments later. Now why? Because Peter didn't understand something about himself. That even though he was a good man, and he is and was a good man, like I told you at the end, he would literally at the end of his life um, go to a cross. They would say, deny Jesus. And he would say, I will not. Well, you're either going to be crucified or you're going to deny Jesus. He goes, I choose crucifixion, a pain for a big death. Over so he was an amazing man. He took a knife willing to die for him. So he was a good man. But what Peter didn't see is this, that under the wrong circumstances, when he's exhausted and tired. Remember, he kept falling asleep. When Jesus didn't meet his expectation, because remember, Jesus was gonna, he thought Jesus was gonna come overthrow Rome and Jesus was going to a cross and he didn't understand. And so Jesus didn't meet his expectation. And, and when, when he got felt rejected because Jesus rebuked him for fighting for him because Jesus, Peter did not understand everything that's going on. And so he feels rejected. He's exhausted. He's afraid. He's anxious. All of a sudden, expectations aren't met. And what he didn't realize is in this perfect circumstance, the enemy would come and in this weak moment cause him to do something he never wanted to do and become someone he never wanted to become. And by the third time he betrays Jesus, he's calling curses down on himself in front of Jesus in the same courtyard. Jesus is looking at him as he's betraying him. And the rooster crows, like Jesus said, and he runs off weeping and broken as a man because he can't believe what he has done and he can't believe who he became because he never thought he could. Can I tell you something? I can't tell you the conversations I have had through almost 20 years of ministry of people that have sat across me broken going, I never thought I could do fill in the blank. And because I never thought I could do it, I never really invested in my soul. Like I never really thought my spirit was that important. And next thing you know, I found myself and I never thought, I never wanted to, but here I am. I never thought he would do that. I never thought my wife was capable of that. And so we never really fought for our marriage. We never pushed through those hard conversations. We never disciplined our relationship because we were parents first instead of husband and wife first. And because we never thought he was capable and she was capable and they would never do that. We never walked with that kind of awareness of the brokenness and our needs and never fought through that. And here we are and everything we built is falling to pieces. And I never thought that we were capable. If you knew the parents, I never thought my daughter 
I mean, she was such a good kid. I mean, she's on the honor roll, and she prays, she read. So I never worried about her dating that guy. I never thought my son, I mean, he was always the good kid. He was always, he had the best heart. And I just, so we never really, we never really worried about church and student ministries because they were in sports and it was good community. And, and we just never, we never took the time to really grow their spirit and develop them because he's a good kid. She's a good girl. And I never thought she was. In other words, there's so often in our lives that the reason, part of the reason we fail is because we don't truly understand that inside of every one of us, your precious child, you, your pastor. There is a sinful nature in us that like Jesus was telling Peter, you gotta protect it, you gotta discipline, you gotta help yourself, you gotta be strong and be ready because these battles are real. And I wonder, listen to this, I wonder if Peter could see himself, who he really was, how Jesus actually saw him, if he would have done things differently and had a different outcome. And here's something that I want you to understand about yourself that is so important to see, and that is this. You are not good or bad. You are both good and bad. Every single one of us. The Apostle Paul shares in a verse, this guy wrote like two-thirds of the Bible, I do what I don't want to do, and I hate the fact that I do what I don't want to do, but I do what I don't want to do, therefore I don't like what I do, but I still do it. <laughs> and this is the guy that God says, I want you to write two-thirds of the Bible. If he is battling, how much more is your middle school child? How much more are you? See, you're not dirty, you're not bad, you're not evil. I'm not saying these things. You're not, you're a human being. And until you go to heaven, you're gonna have the nature, a sinful nature, and you're gonna have the Holy Spirit. And there's gonna be a battle inside of every one of us. And so the heartbeat of today is going, well, how can we win this battle? Like, what are some things we can do? Let's just, let's just not pretend everybody's perfect and everyone's good. And no, instead, let's go, hey, there's some good in you, absolutely. And there's God in you, and that's awesome. But there's a real battle. And good men and good people, a.k.a. the Apostle Peter, King David, a man after God's own heart, are still capable of doing things in the right environment, the right circumstance. So here's what I want to do today. Um, here's two things I want to address, right? Um, I love this first, be alert and sober mind, right? Be aware like understand the reality views uh, that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. It's not just your nature, there's a spiritual world as well. Now here's what I want to do today. Look at these things. How do you protect yourself from your weakness and strengthen your weaknesses? In other words, um, let's not just spend the rest of our life going, I got to live and shut doors. Oh, that's very wise. We're going to look how to do that, right? But, but what can you do to actually identify what's the thing that keeps causing you to fall? What's the struggle that you can't seem to overcome? Well, what are some things you can do to strengthen that area? We're going to look at that. And then what are some doors you need to close, some distance you need to create between you and your weakness? Now, here's the other part of this. Um, how do you protect others from their weaknesses and help strengthen their weaknesses? Because understand something. We talked about this earlier. When someone you're in a relationship with, a spouse, a child, okay, when they mess up, it doesn't just affect them, does it? It affects you. And too often what we do inside of relationships is we point out everyone's weakness and we judge them instead of lovingly come alongside and going, hey, I see you've got a struggle. How can I be a part of the solution, not the criticism, the solution to help strengthen you and to protect you from what might be your weakness? Here's why. Because oftentimes when you're in a relationship with someone, their weakness is not yours and your weakness is not theirs. So we don't understand it and we have a tendency to judge it. Because if you're a saver, you probably married a spender, Right? And so the Savior says, I don't, my struggle is not money. I'm good with it. Well, guess what? Your spouse may be battling every day with wanting and being a shopaholic, and Amazon is their addiction, right? And so, so what you need to understand, it's not about judging, right? Because you have your weakness. It's about what can I do to protect. You, you might have a struggle with something with lust or sexuality, and, and your friend or your spouse might go, that's not my struggle, right? You might have a struggle with anxiety, right, or anger, and you might not battle with those things. So the point I'm trying to make is this. What I want to look out today is not just individualistic. How do I protect myself? Well, as a mother and a father and a husband and a wife and a boss, a small group leader, what does this look like in my life to protect the people I love as well? And so there are two things that I want to give you today. And there's two things I want to encourage you. you know, I would take notes on this. I would have, get ready to have conversations on this. Because here's two things you can do to diminish the amount of regret and struggles and failures that you're going to face in your life. And these two things by doing it may literally alter the outcome of your life, your reputation, your marriage, and your family. And here's the first one, and it's really the, the most simple one, and that's this. Um, create distance between you and your weakness. Like, I know that's basic, but it's amazing how often we live so close to the very thing that could destroy us. Does that make sense? Like, like, like sometimes... The question we ask is how close can we get without sinning? 
instead of going, how far can I stay away so I don't end up in that situation? Do you know that Jesus taught this? I think this is so important, like, to understand. Like, Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, he, he walks up and he talks about some things that cause people to struggle. And one is to talk about lust. And he goes, hey, um, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, right? Like, go all the way to action. You can walk all the way up to the act, but don't do it, and you're okay. But Jesus, no, 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 I want you to create distance between the act that will destroy your life and says, hey, if you look at a woman lustfully, so your mind, your thought life, and what you, you know, in view in your eyes, those kind of things, he goes, then you've done it in your heart. In other words, it doesn't start here, it ends here. And so what you need to learn to do to protect yourself because you have a sinful nature and a weakness and you don't want to be there and have that conversation or have that regret or have those, those consequences. So here's what you need to do. Create distance between your struggle, your weakness, and what you do. So it's about guarding your eyes, guarding your thoughts, right? Same thing with anger. He says, hey, you've heard it said don't commit murder. Like, it's the act of violence is the problem. But what Jesus says, no, 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 I said to you, don't even be anger. Don't let bitterness and anger and rage, because what happens is when it's in your heart and you're holding resentment and you're holding these things in, I need you to create distance from the action by resolving the issue over here. And so what you see Jesus doing over and over again is, hey, what does it look like to get you as far away from the thing that can take you out as you possibly can, not once again doing what we like to do? And I remember being in this question, how close can we get before it's too far? We want to live right close to the edge. Listen to this. So in a moment of weakness, if I take one step, what happens? I fail. Think of it like this, something superficial, right? Let's say you're struggling, you want to eat healthier. And, and so let's just think about this real quick. I want you to see this. Um, if you were to go to the store and buy all kinds of candy and chocolate and keep it in your, you know, pantry right there, um, and you're trying to eat healthy, do you think it's going to be easier to do that or if you didn't buy it at all and it was at a supermarket? What are you doing? You're creating distance between the emotion, the temptation, the weakness, and actually fulfilling it, right? Because it's one thing to be 11 o'clock and go, I got to take three steps and there is a Hershey's bar. And the other thing is, okay, I'm, I want that. I would eat it if it's in my closet, but because it's not, I don't want to get dressed, get in the car, go all the way to the supermarket, go get that candy bar. Okay, it's not worth it. And so sometimes, this is why I say this, because sometimes your failure or success isn't about you being stronger. It's about being wiser. Like, it's not about you being, oh, no, that person's better. And no, that person was smarter and goes, hey, I've got a weakness. So what I want to do is I want to create distance between my weakness and my ability to fulfill that Weakness. So here's what I want to do. How do, how do. how do we do this? Think about this, right? So, so if your story is, I keep meeting the wrong person, and every time I go to the club, he never ends up being. And every time I'm there, I drink too much, and I feel so bad, and I do things. Well, what about not going to the club? Like, why put yourself in the environment, the very environment that has caused so much regret, so many wrong tattoos, so many things you wish you didn't do in your life, Instead of beating yourself up for the failure, why don't you be wise and actually create distance between you and the failure? See the difference? See, I acknowledge I need distance because I'm a human being that's capable of failure. And so I'm not going to beat myself up for failure. No, I'm going to create distance between me and my failure. Therefore, guess what? I'm going to fail less, not because I'm stronger, not because I'm more godly. It's because I'm wiser and more humble to know I need this. So I'm going to create the boundaries. Does that make sense? This is so important. Like, too often we are beating ourselves up and we're keeping the very thing that is causing the pain right at our hands reach. And then we wonder why we keep failing. It's because you need to understand something about your sinful nature. Can I tell you something? You need to create distance. So how do you, how do, you do this? Well, let's just say in, in some ways maybe your issue is lust. And so the, the struggle is there. And you go, I, I just keep looking at things I shouldn't look at. Well, guess what? Listen, why not create the boundary, the distance? So put a blocker on your phone. They, they, by the way, parents, they have everything that you need nowadays, either with an iPhone, their software, most of the internet services you buy, and the routers can actually block all of those things. There are ways to create time limits. There's a way to check and have emailed everyone. You can ask our students. You can Google it. It's all there. There's a thousand different options. And the point is, so why not, if this is the struggle, and by the way, 75 plus percent more uh, men a week, this is a battle and a struggle and an entry point the enemy uses in their life. So why not create boundaries? Why not, why, not, why not create the, the accountability in, in, in your phone? Why not create those things around your life? See what I'm saying? See, there's things that you can do to fail less that aren't just you gotta be stronger and be better. See, the church always goes, just try harder, just love Jesus more. Why well, keep failing? Well, sometimes we need more than that. We need distance. We need wisdom. 
We need to create space between where we are and where we don't want to be. In some of these things, you actually have the power. You can't close every door, but there are many doors that you can close, and this, once again, is one of them. So what if, what if um, your issue, in some ways, is maybe in a marriage, and you just struggle, and you, don't, you never feel close? Yeah, it's shocking how many times I'll talk to people married years. We feel a mile apart. We, we lack emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, relational, spiritual intimacy. And, and so what are some things that you can do to create distance so that there isn't distance in your marriage? Like what are things you need to get out of the relationship to do it? One of those things I think is our cell phones. I mean, I think that, that, that it's amazing how um, you can be right next to someone and be a million miles apart because both of you are in another world. There's an artist that has a picture of this. I thought this was so profound. It's kind of highlighting this. And they took pictures of couples and then they photoshopped the phones off. And what they, what they realized is going, isn't that amazing that you could be in the most intimate setting in the world in a bedroom with your husband and with, with your wife and you could literally be a mile apart in separate, complete separate worlds. And so many people are like, well, I don't understand why my marriage, we just don't talk, we don't pray, there's no physical, well, you've invited the whole world into your bed. I'm, I'm being serious. Like, I know that sounds, see, sometimes these things are simple. I don't bring my phone into my bedroom. It's just a decision I made. Why? Because I found when I did, it was easier to go, let me check that email. Let me see how much money I've lost this week in the stock market. How much is gas? What's going on on social media? What's going on ESPN? Like, you know, like when I have that distraction there, it's just easier to do that instead of pray. And when I woke up in the morning sometimes, instead of like getting up and going to worship, or I'd be like, let me check what's going on. And so I go, you know what? I actually have the control. I'm not going to beat myself up by lack of self-control. I'm going to create the discipline. I'm going to go, my phone's not coming to my room. And so, I, so now if I'm tempted, I want to go check the phone. Well, I got to get up, go all the way downstairs, go into my office to get the phone where it sits on the charger every single And by the way, well, that's hard. I use the alarm. Buy an alarm. They're $9 on Amazon. <laughs> I did. I just bought one. Little clock right by my bed. They make things called Alexa. Hey, Alexa, set a time for 6 a.m. I mean, it, it's all an excuse. And here's why I say this. There will be marriages that will fall apart because of this. I'm, I'm just being completely honest. There have been studies. There will literally be entire families that will collapse because the spouses stop creating intimacy with each other because they've invited the whole world and because they can't control and they don't have the boundaries. There's, there's an addiction, by the way. Look how many hours a day people are on their phone. This is, not something, this is not something little, but this is something you can control. Like we're even talking to our family now about trying to create a box at like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, putting all the phones in the box. We go, we're disconnected for the night. Because we, we shouldn't have to be always accessible. We just shouldn't. And I'm just telling you, for some of you, this, you, you want to change your marriage. This decision alone could have an amazing thing inside of the intimacy, both physical, relational, and spiritual by going, hey, we're going to make this decision that in our bedroom is going to be sacred. It's going to be for each other. We're not inviting the world into our bed. And that is a decision that, listen to this, you have the power to make. Does that make sense? Stop beating yourself up for what's wrong and start going, how can I do, once again, what is right? Let's talk about another thing. What about social media? Like, I, I, again, I want to get real. I know this is like, like, man, I wish I didn't come to church today. Yeah, but <laughs> I promise you, if you will do these things, you're going to be glad that you did. I really, I really mean that, right? For those of you who are student section, I'm not even going to look at you during this next section because you're going to judge me. But do you know that social media has probably had a worse effect on the youth than drugs? In fact, look, look at this stat. This shocked me. By the way, it's called the social dilemma if you ever want to watch something. In fact, I think next to the Bible, every family in this culture right now should watch with their kids this, the movie, Social Dilemma, to understand the impact on the emotions, the spirits, the relationships that social media has on this next generation. I am grateful. I didn't have to deal with it. You guys have a battle that I never had. But I want you to look at this, right? I want you to look at what happens with the mental health of students. This is people cutting themselves. This is depression, suicidal thoughts, anxiety, and all of these things wrapped up in one. 2009, look what happened to social media. And look at what happened to the depression system and the emotional health of our next generation. It's not my opinion. This is like science. I, I literally, truthfully, would rather give my sons drugs than a social media account. That's not because I'm saying that. I'm just saying, you go ahead. You, you talk to the people that invented it. They don't even let their own kids do it. Like, I want you to understand this. So here's my question to you. Do you know that you actually control this? 
Like, you're putting your child, and by the way, those of you in high school, middle school, listen, you guys can control this. Maybe you need to create the boundaries. If your parents won't do it, you should do it. Be smart. If you understand this is actually going to impact, you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people's highlight reels. It's awful for your emotional, spiritual, relational health. It's not healthy for you. Then maybe you could say, okay, I'm going to get, you can create time limits, 30 minutes a day. I know some people that'll do that. Or maybe there's younger kids. You can make this and never expose them to it. Like, I know all their friends are doing it. I know you're uncool right because you don't make this. I understand that that's why God gave them parents to protect them when they can't protect themselves and I just want to encourage you in this this is why I literally I've stopped um, we have people on our um, I'll post stuff on my family but a lot of the stuff we have people from the church that manage our account that watch everything that goes on so I'm not always on just having to respond and, and, and deal with these things because when you look at this you ask the question what can you do to create the distance in your children's life or even in your life between what you know is causing harm emotionally, spiritually, and relationally? How can you create distance to that? And maybe it's not cut it all off, and maybe you, I know you communicate through that, but maybe it is a time limit. But I just want you to see this. See, we have the power to create distance. And some of us need to stop being discouraged by our failures and start creating distance between the things that make us want to fail. Does that make sense? What if it's not about you getting stronger? What if it's not now you being more godly or being better? What if it's about being wise and going, okay, this is an area of weakness. Let me be smart. Like an alcoholic getting out of rehab should not go work at a bar because that's their area of weakness. You, don't, you might have a different area of weakness. I don't know what your weakness is. We all have different ones. But just let's do this. When you understand you have the capability, then you should be smart and wise and go, hey, what can I do to distance myself? If it's not a struggle, it's not a struggle. Like some people can drink a glass of wine and it, it's a glass of wine and it's never an issue and that's fine. You might be a person, man, this becomes my crutch and when I start this, this is where I go every time. Okay, for you, you need to create greater distance. Everyone is different. This is why it's so important not to create universal laws. But what I want us to understand is you need to be in tune with yourself and it's so important to go, where can I close doors? Let me close doors. Let me at least, let me at least make it harder for myself and the people I love to fail. Does that make sense? Like, I, I know we're all going to mess up. None of us are perfect. But what, like, what, what if we were wise and go, let's shut doors where we can shut doors? That's the first one. Here's, here's the second one that I want to challenge you to do, and that's this. It's <clears throat> to create disciplines to strengthen your weakness. In other words, you can't shut the door on everything forever. You can't live in a bubble on an island in a cave. I get all of that, right? And so it's not like we can isolate and just, so at some point in our life, here's my challenge to you. You have to know what your weakness is and then begin to discover, how can I make this stronger? How do I get myself in this situation where that same thing that used to make me fail will actually not make me fail? Do you realize that there are things that you can actually do to strengthen areas of your weakness? Now, if you don't know what your weaknesses are, if you're not humble enough to acknowledge they're there, then you won't be able to do it. But if you can actually acknowledge, ask others, ask the Holy Spirit, look at the pattern of choices in your life, all of these things, discover and know this is my area. This is the trigger that hits me. So what can I do to counterbalance that temptation? By the way, isn't this exactly what Jesus did for Peter? Hey, Peter, I know you're an emotional guy. I know you want to do the right thing. I also know you're exhausted and you're tired. This has been a really busy season, right? So here's what you need to do right now, right? You need to pray so you will not fall into temptation. Strengthen your spirit because a strong, healthy, holy spirit in you is incredibly powerful to help you overcome your weakness, right? For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I just encourage you real quick with this? Never underestimate the power of a healthy spirit, soul, relation and schedule in your life to, to you be able to walk in strength and not fail. And what I mean by this is this, is so often, you, you know this, right? You ever come home exhausted from work and you've just been in a really, not a day, you ever been in a season like that, by the way? And you ever notice how in the, in the season where just, you know, the, the demands and you're stressed and you're exhausted, have you ever noticed how it's a little harder to be patient? Anybody besides me or just, just me? I'm the only one. Okay, good. Now I don't feel bad. Let's be honest, like, you ever notice that? You, you ever find yourself easier to get angry, easier to get patient, easier to get frustrated, even to say things you regret, right? Right, why? Because there is a connection to a life out of balance and your ability to do the right thing. There is. When you're tired and you're exhausted and you're overworked and you're stressed and you're not living with a Sabbath and living in balance, it is very hard to have a healthy marriage with an unhealthy pace of life. It is. It's hard. 
In the same way this, have you ever noticed when you've not been with the Lord for a while? I've noticed this. Like when I get really, really busy, even though what I do, but I mean, there's meetings, we're running organizations, it's just so much stuff sometimes that when I'm not having time to pray and to worship and do those things, you ever notice how sometimes um, that, that it's easier to fail, it's easier to do the right thing when you feel disconnected from God? Like, so this, this is what Peter, Jesus is saying to Peter. Hey, it, you don't have to fail but in the moment of temptation, if your spirit is empty and your body is weak and you're worn out, then that temptation will take you out because you're not in a healthy balance of your soul, your spirit, and your life. So here's what I want you to do, Peter. I want you to get on your knees and seek the Lord because the Lord will give you the strength to defeat the temptation. But if you walk into that temptation weak, then you will fail, and that's exactly what Peter did. Does that make sense? So never underestimate looking at your life and going, maybe you're not a bad person. Maybe you've not been disciplined in the schedule that you keep and the disciplines of your life. And so you keep failing because you're living in a constant state of stress, anxiety, and exhaustion because you don't say no when you need to say no. I've had to learn, even though it upsets people sometimes. Will you come speak? I can't do it. I'm sorry. Will you come here? I, I would love to, but right now I'm looking at my life and my kids and my family and my soul, and I'm going, it's full. I just can't do it. I won't sacrifice. I'm not going to live on an empty soul. Because I don't want to be one of those stories at the end that messes up. And in a moment of weakness or exhaustion, that's fair. Because I've known some people that have failed. And I'm telling you, it's not an excuse because there's more to it than I realize. But some of these people that failed lived at a pace that was absolutely exhausting. They shipwrecked their family and their life in the midst of that exhaustion. Never underestimate, like, having a Sabbath, resting, putting the cell phones away, creating time to fill your spirit. Because when you walk in this way, it's amazing the strength that you can have. Now, um, so what does this look like by creating discipline? So let's just imagine for a moment, what is your issue? Say your issue is your mind. And you struggle with anxiety and fear. And, and it's in your life. Well, think about this. Be like, I can't control the way I feel. Well, I disagree. You can control the way you feel. You know how? Because you have the power and the ability to control what you focus on and what you fill your mind with. And what is in your mind is controlling how you feel. It is. So what's company, what you're thinking about and what you've meditated on is actually influencing the emotions that you feel. So here's what it looks like. So what's the discipline? So if your struggle is anxiety and fear, and I, then what do you need to do to fill your mind with worship and God's word and the truth of God's word is peace, love, joy, right? Like if, as you're filling yourself with God's spirit and his word and his worship, what are you doing? You're creating disciplines to strengthen the weakness that is taking you out and taking you captive. So some of you whose issues are anxiety, you need to be, you need to create discipline. Man, every night before I go to bed, I'm gonna have to read God's word so that I'm not worried, all my, my mind's not spinning on these things. Every morning, I'm gonna wake up to worship because man, before I start the day, I remind myself who God is, why? Because I'm aware of my weakness and I wanna create disciplines to strengthen that weakness. What if it's money? Okay, well listen, money, listen to this. Uh, yeah, that may be a struggle you have in your life. That's a heart issue and a budget issue. Wherever your, heart, wherever your treasure is, Jesus says, your heart will follow. So it's more than just a budget, but it is a, it's a heart. At the same time, it's a budget. Some of you want to give but can't do it. And so maybe you need to create margin in your budget, create accountability in your budget, because when there is no margin, the greater stress and anxiety is. When there's margin, there's less stress and anxiety. See, some of these things, listen to this, you have the power to control. And if you stop beating yourself up and getting discouraged for failure, instead start creating disciplines in your life to strengthen those. It's amazing what it can do in the same way. Let's think, what if your struggle is lust? We talked about this early. And you go, okay, wait a minute. My struggle is, and I keep failing. And I know we live in a world that says that sex and sexuality is, is just physical. It's your choice. It's not a big deal. Well, no. God says it's actually more than physical. It's emotional, but most importantly, it's spiritual. And two people become one flesh. And the scripture actually says that all other sins are committed outside of the body. But when it comes to sexual sin, two people become one flesh. It is spiritual. You're the temple of God. And it is a very big deal. And one of the greatest ways the enemy will wreck your life. And I'm just telling you this. And so the question is, if you want to win and you don't want to, you want to honor God with your body and be pure, that's awesome. And you're single. Here's my challenge to you. So what can you do to create disciplines to, to, to not like, to not fail as much? Well, part of that, once again, is distance. Don't put yourself in an environment. Don't spend the night. Don't be like, there's things you can do practically, but also we have to understand something. What are some things that Jesus said that lust precurses the action? So, so like you walk into a movie theater, right? Think about it for a moment. And you weren't craving popcorn. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you smell popcorn, you see popcorn, they show the Coke with the little fizzles and it's dripping down this glass and you didn't want to spend $20 for a Coke and popcorn that cost two. And the next thing you know is you're sitting in the seat eating a $20 popcorn and a Coke after you already spent $20 for a movie you probably shouldn't even see. Why? Because it awakened the desire in you. 
And so if you know this, and by the way, we've built whole marketing platforms on this, then what can you do to guard? Maybe you shouldn't watch that show, right? Maybe, maybe you should be careful what you look at. Maybe you need to take captive every thought because maybe the way you're gonna make it is not in the moment being good, but it's prior to going, I need to strengthen by protecting where I can my thoughts and my eyes. In the same way, we're gonna talk about this with marriage. Like, what, see, one thing, sometimes people think that sex is something that's like, oh, God, it's like, you know, oh, against it, it's unholy. God designed it. I know that kind of freaks people out a little bit, but God actually designs it. In fact, listen to this. He, inside the covenant of marriage, he commands it. Look at this verse. I want you to see this. This is probably most of men's favorite verse. Do not deprive, like, do you know a verse? I know one, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. All right. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless both of you agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a, and there's that magic word, limited time so that you could give yourselves more to prayer. Some of you are married to prayer warriors. You didn't even know it. I'm already in trouble, so let's go. Here we go. But notice the next part of this. I want you to hear this. Right? Afterwards, this is the command. You should come back together. Be intimate sexually. Again, so that, listen to this, so what? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What, what does he recognize? Hey, you're good and bad. Your spouse is good and bad. There's a good and there's a sinful nature. And when you get so busy and when you get so tired and, and, and men, when you keep having these headaches, I'm telling you, you gotta work on that. Um, <laughs> Right? And when you don't feel good about yourself or when you're not getting along, and what happens, I want, you to, I want to be serious for a moment in this, right? And, and you go, you know what? Just, we neglect this area of our marriage. Here's what I want you to see. What is God saying? When you don't create the disciplines, and yes, listen, when you get married for a while, it's a discipline. It's a schedule. It's something you have to look at. It's something you have to, to measure because everyone has different desires and life is crazy. When you have kids, oh my gosh, forget about romance. Like it's just, it's a, you have to be disciplined with it. The spontaneity is gone. You've got to actually go, here's our plan and here's our schedule. And here's what he says. Because when you don't do that, what happens is it actually opens up the door, creates a greater temptation. There's this need that is not being met and fulfilled. And what happens is it gives the enemy access to destroy a family in a person. Now listen, I know it's more complicated than this. And I know there's more to it. I know there's about, you know, and by the way, I say the same thing, men, when it comes to like being there emotionally and spiritually, praying, dating, having conversations. Like I understand there's so much more to this. But here's what I want you to see when it comes to this area. Because by the way, this was the primary area you see that caused all of these people to fail was this one area. And here's what I want you to see is when it comes to physical intimacy, this is the one thing in the whole world that the only person on planet Earth that can fulfill is your spouse. It's the only need, the only need, that this is the only person on planet Earth and, and what Paul says. And when that need is not met in the, in the context of marriage, then what begins to happen is opens up the door for the enemy to get in and shipwreck and cause resentment and cause people to turn to fill that need in ways that aren't, don't honor God and that are not right. Now, once again, that's not an excuse for an affair or pornography. I'm not saying an excuse. What I'm saying is to be aware of the other person's weakness. And what the Apostle Paul in the scriptures are saying is, listen, this matters. This matters. I'm busy. I know you're busy. It doesn't take that much time. But it, listen, you know you're busy. All right. Next week, you're going to take your kids to kids ministry. It's great. But here we go. Last thing I want to talk about before we get into closes, and that is this. I went a little bit longer, and I wanted to get with this. Is let's just say um, your kids. What are some disciplines? If you know that kids are running away from the Lord in, in epic numbers, and they are, and you know the temptations kids are struggling, here's my question. What are some disciplines you can create in your, your, your son and daughter's life? I think youth group is one of the greatest. I do. They've done so much. This is not just my opinion. Like, this is what studies. They've done studies that, um, I forgot, was 70, 80%, like, enormous amount of people that are, are uh, of teenagers that are turning 18 or leaving the faith, leaving the church, walk of God, and by living a life with, without the Lord. But that number drastically changes. It's like one, it's like 5%. It's like, it's ridiculous. When that teenager has a relationship with five people inside of that church, a small group or a student ministry. In other words, we can look at the science and tell you that your kids got like a 95% less chance of walking with God if you have them in student ministries than if you don't. So here's my question to you. What is the disciplines as parents you're doing to protect your kids? I know they, some of them love to go. Some of them don't want to go. I know your, your kid's soccer coach. I would rather have my kids walk with the Lord for eternity and have faith and the strength spiritually than, you know, 
play soccer or volleyball, whatever it is. But these are choices you need to make. When you understand your kid is not good or bad, they're good and bad, you understand the urgency to fulfill or fulfill fill their spirit, to give them the strength to walk in that. And I'm telling you something, we put so much into our student ministry. We spend so much resources on this because I believe it is so critical and important for your students. But as parents, you've got to make that decision. Kids, you've got to make that discipline. That might mean you're going to adjust schedules around this because I believe it is that important. Here's why I say all this, guys. Listen to this. We'll close with this. My, my heart, for me, as well as you, is I want to, I want to end well. And what I mean by that is um, my heart is I never dishonor God, I never dishonor my family, and I never dishonor you and the trust that has been given me. But can I tell you something, that part of the way that I'm going to fulfill that is not just by being a good person or loving the Lord or just with good intentions. Part of the way I'm going to fulfill that is by understanding that I am good and bad. That I have the, I, I love Jesus, I have to do, but in the right circus, in the right environments, in the wrong circus, I, I am capable. So because of that, here's what I need to do. I need to create the distance between what makes me fall, and I need to create the disciplines to protect me. And this is why, once again, when it comes to my life, I've shared this before, um, when it comes to my phone, my wife has my, so she's right there, she has my social media accounts, she has my password. I can't live in a private world that can't exist because everything that I do, she can see, it's visible, it's there. We have someone at staff that sees every conversation, every instant message, because I don't even look at instant messages, sorry, uh, that, but most of the time that they come uh, and, and they look there. Why? Why? Because I, I want to create distance, I want to create dissonance, I, I want to be smart. This is why I don't counsel the opposite sex. Just don't do it. Are you saying you're so weak? No, I'm just saying I don't want to put myself in that position. Because if I was weak and then I was at a moment of failure, but I have no one to fail with, then I can't fail. At the end of the day, I don't care what the reason is as long as I don't, if you will, do it. Does that make sense? This is why we have glass windows in all of our doors so that people are together. They're never in environments. Why my office over here has a huge glass window that is open all the time so that people can always walk by and see what's going on. Why? Because I'm, because I'm walking around always on the verge of failure. No, because I have the capability. And what I want to do is finish the race. And what I want to do is not do what Peter did, who loved the Lord and gave his life for him. But all people talk about is that night he failed Jesus. And so I want to create those, the, the, those disciplines, right? This is why my wife and I create those disciplines in our life. We schedule date days. We schedule intimacy. We create these moments because you know what? Life is busy, and this has to be a priority. This is why I limit my schedule. I talked about this earlier. My, there's people wanting me to do all speak here, do this. No, I'm not going to do it. This is why when I'm really tired, even though how busy it is, I, you know what, I'm going on vacation with the family because I is the wrong time, I get it, but I am exhausted and I need myself spiritually and emotionally. This is why I surround myself with godly men. This is why I devote myself to the scriptures. Why? Because I understand who I am. And in my heart, I want to honor God and I love him and I want to honor him and I want to be that guy and have been that guy. But I also understand in my heart, I also have the capability of being who I don't want to be and doing what I don't want to do. And I never want to be that person. And what if the way I accomplished that was not just loving God, but creating the distance from and the disciplines over the things that might make me fail? Let me close with this first and we'll head out. Um, if you feel bad or dirty or oh, I'm a failure, can I just, I, I, want, I want you to read what, this is the Apostle Paul, wrote two-thirds of the Bible, New Testament, loved God, gave his life for Jesus, an amazing man of God. But I want you to see how he acknowledged the struggle of, in him. Listen to what he says. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. See, you're not alone. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to be that good person, the good mom, the good wife, the good husband, the good middle school, the good high school. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Like, man, this is hard sometimes, guys. It is. What a wretched man I am. Like, like even the Apostle Paul goes, I have the capability of. You're not alone. And by the way, if you failed, if you're here going, it's too late for me, I've already ruined my name, I've already messed up. No, you, no, 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 you have not. Listen, Paul messed up too, by the way. He, he was part of murdering someone, probably worse than what you did. But what did Paul acknowledge? And I want you to understand this. Look at this. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, there is grace. And I want you to see this. We may define Peter by his failure, but Jesus didn't. Jesus changed his name to the rock. And after he failed, called him to lead his church because Jesus saw that one day he would actually be that man that would go to his death to honor the Lord. And he did not define him from this moment. And you've got to stop defining yourself. And you have to enjoy the grace of the Lord. And at the same time, every one of us here need to understand, I am not good and I am not bad. I am both. 
because I understand about this, here's how I'm going to protect myself for the going forward. I'm going to create distance between you and your weaknesses. What are they? You have to define them. What doors can you close? Why not make it hard to fail? And I need to create disciplines to strengthen your weaknesses. What are the areas of your life you keep failing? What's the counsel you need to see? What's the verse you need to memorize? What's the discipline you need to create in your life so that you, once again, can be everything that God created you to be? And you can live up to what God has designed you to be. You don't have to fail. You don't have to be what your parents were or this person were. You've got the power of God in you to be everything that God created you to be. But you're in a battle and you're in a war and you need distance and you need disciplines. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray for everyone here. God, you love them so much. Like every parent, you want them to always make the right decisions even though we don't. God, thank you for the grace when we fail. But God, at the same time, I just pray that you give us the strength, the wisdom, the wisdom to know what we need to do to give us the distance and give us the disciplines to walk in the fullness and the strength and the beauty and, and the glory you called us to live. In Jesus' name.